This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the Nipple Sisters are fighting cancer with tattoos and community. Carmelina Bakari and Casey Rainey are restorative medical pigmentation specialists. They tell us how they reconstruct nipples for breast cancer survivors, how cancer brought the pair together, and how their work helps battle breast cancer and build community. We throw back to 1997 with a flashback, the year of the very first MP3 player called the MP Man. Terrible name. Plus, are you okay with apple pie? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with scaring people? What? Mm, Ryan's pointing at me. I don't know. What are you pointing at? I'm scared. He's pointing at something. I'm scared. My guess is his microphone thing is not working. Cord. I'm here. I just need a new cord. That's all. I was oh, trying to get all comfy. What were you pointing at so feverishly? He's, I was pointing okay. so that Brendan could go first, so oh. that we didn't make people aware that uh, I don't technology great all the time. Oh, but here we are. They're aware. Now the whole world knows. Oh, trust me. Everybody who listens to the chef knows Ryan is not good with technology. Yeah, they know. Some technology. Anything with wires. It's not good. Anyway, scaring people. Is that what we're... Yeah. Um, yeah. I do enjoy... A good fright. We, we talked about horror earlier. It's fun. I, I got to direct a little short horror film when I was uh, when I was younger, and that was that was a lot of cool. that was really fun. You know, finding ways to make you scared. But you know, I never really did the thing where you jump out at people and spook them and get a laugh. Aside from you know your buddies, but random strangers, anything like that. No, it's just I don't know, not very rewarding for for moi. The jump out and the boo. <sighs> No, 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 I'm not a fan at all. Um, like, I can appreciate scaring people artistically. I don't mind the horror movies or, or, or something in that regard. Um, however, scaring people just for the hell of it and for a laugh? No, I'm not okay with that. I think that that's, yeah, I don't that's, like that. that's pretty bad. That's pretty poor sportsmanship in the game of life. Ooh. Sharp words. Yeah. DJ BK. I agree with you. I, I I think of all the things to do. I you know, I don't I you know what I do love doing though? Is scaring the crap out of my dog. Oh <laughs> so, no. <laughs> well she'll be poking around. I think my dog's afraid of the dark is really what this boils down to. And okay. then every now and then she'll be like walking every time I open the front door, she pokes her head out only and looks outside. <laughs> And she just like tiptoes outside. So every now and then I'll be like, and she just jumps and runs away. Poor doggy. I mean, if she ever eats my face, that's probably why. Well, she's not a cat. She's not going to do that. You're probably covered. (laughs) Five daycare workers had some Halloween fun last week. Go to daycare. Of course, it's going to be playful. They put on masks and scared the toddlers under their care. Now, they put on, like, scream masks, like like scary masks. Now, scare, um, when we read this, we're like, come on. This is just too much. Scare really isn't the right word, though. It's more like terrify. Let's just call it abuse. They're now facing criminal charges for their behavior, and they've been arrested by police. The incident occurred at Low Blessings... Oh, bless your heart. Child care and learning center in Hamilton, Mississippi. In the video, daycare workers use a scary Halloween mask and appear to intentionally scare the young children, even chasing and grabbing a toddler at one point in the two-minute video. I was in complete shock of what I witnessed, um, whether they had a mask on or the mask off. Their behavior was unacceptable. Um... My blood pressure was raised. It broke my heart for my child. I was angry. Speaking to ABC News overnight, Caitlin Johnson says her two-year-old son is still showing signs of trauma and hardly sleeping through the night. She sees these charges as first steps toward justice. I hope you're enjoying jail, and I hope you realize what you've done is serious. Now, that's ABC News. You have to see the video. 
because it wasn't just like booga booga. <laughs> no. Um, they were literally like in the kids' faces with the scream mask on, yelling and rah, and the kids were like cowering, just like crippled with fear, hiding from them, trying to turn away. And yeah. this, like, sitting in a chair. It wasn't a fun game. It wasn't running around going, hey, scary. They were, like, cowering in a chair. And the video, they're, like, terrorizing these children. Like, if half the kids didn't pee their pants, I would be surprised. If that was me and I was the kid, I would have peed my pants. I would probably pee my pants today. It was that terrifying. And I'm not joking. I'm being totally honest. Like, that's how, oh, yeah. that's what it makes I can me attest. think of. It's, it is a, it is gross. Like it's, you know, there's a difference between, you know, I can remember like my dad, you know, kind of giving me a spook, putting on like a pumpkin mask going boo, and then taking the mask off immediately and giving me a hug or something. Right. That's mm. one thing. They are literally like grabbing toddlers by the shoulder and like screaming in their faces with this like overtly scary mask on running around. It is, it would a hundred percent be traumatizing as a kid. Oh, there's no way it wouldn't be. Oh, it, it was terrible. Um, after authorities got wind of what happened at the daycare, they decided to take action. The workers face each face three counts of felony child abuse for their role in the incident, and another two faces two charges of failure to report abuse and simple assault against a minor. Now, I don't know if, you know, child abuse, I don't know if that's too much or not, but I can tell you that none of this was okay. People who would think that that is funny in any way, um, probably should not be caring for kids based on the video, based on seeing the video. They could be really nice people otherwise. I don't know. But it was terrifying to see. Do we have a link to that video that we can post at shiftheads.ca, right? Uh, I'm certain we do, yes. We'll find it. Okay. Now, Are you okay with... I remember in the drive-thru, you would make your order... And you would always be asked if you wanted something to go with your dinner. What was it? Let's start with this clip that thing. Autumn, a time when trees cast new colors, a time for sharing warmth. And at McDonald's, we're doing just that. Sharing the warmth of our new oven-baked apple pies, a cinnamon-dusted crust with golden, delicious apple filling. Was that the everything? Yeah, that's everything. Would you like a hot apple pie with that? That was the question you always got asked at McDonald's. Are you okay with McDonald's apple pie? I love apple pie. Apple pie is a very good pie. I've only had McDonald's apple pie probably once or twice. Um, that's mostly because I, I don't usually get dessert when I go out to fast food. And if I do, it's always going to be ice cream. Um, but the times I've had the apple pie, it was surprisingly awesome for like a dollar fifty slice of apple pie. It was it was it was very good. Hmm. Well, now the old saying is it's American, like apple pie. And me being half American, you would think I love apple pie with my baseball and freedom. However, I can't say I've had apple pie all that much to be honest, in mm -hmm. my entire life, even as a child. Like, I would always decline the apple pie at McDonald's. I want to say I've had apple pie in the single digits. Like all life. apple pie in your life? Yeah. I've really? very rarely... I, I never liked it. I was never a huge fan. I find that sad. That's apple pie sad. is unbelievable. There's no denying that apple pie is... A good apple pie is, like, mind-blowing make your week like if you have apple pie and then you get an extra slice or whatever takeaway and leftovers and you put it in the fridge it is impossible to not crave that other slice mcdonald's the food giant that it is has a wide roster of desserts for example the milkshake machine that never works none of them are more famous though as the apple pie mostly because mcdonald's has never marketed anything more than you want apple pie with that Every time you went through the drive-thru for decades. Some people will do anything for an apple pie, like this Atlanta woman who went to jail over an apple pie in 2019. 
apparently um, a customer was getting irate because she was having to wait too long for an apple pie. It all went down right here in Covington under the Golden Arches on Highway 278. Employees told police Ana Luisa Guita Baltazar was angry because she expected to get the pie for free to compensate her for having to wait. When the employees said no, Guiti Baltazar was fighting mad. And starts uh, using profanity and, and screaming at the employee and starts aggressively walking towards her. She's punching her, her fist into her hand. Guiti Baltazar was arrested for disorderly conduct. Give me a hand. Put your hands back. The pie cost a dollar six. Police say the tasty treat cost her so much more. A dollar and six cents for an apple pie versus an $837 disorderly conduct citation. Math is hard. Well, now McDonald's customers will have a new pastry to go nuts over, and it comes from a competitor, Krispy Kreme. Have you ever had a Krispy Kreme? Have you ever gone to Krispy Kreme? Was it crispy? No. Yeah, right, right. It's actually a really good point. Yeah, right? Right? Um, Beginning October... 15 seconds in the microwave, Krispy Kreme donut. Hello. Really? Hello. Never had it. Really? I think Never they're had like a air. Cream. They're like the, air to me. Oh, but they're, there's it's like good. A, a thin. Are they better than Timmy's? Well, it's a different donut. It's, I mean, Timmy's yeah. is kind of, oh, they're always sort of dense, like yeah. chunky things. Like, like a sour that. cream glazed donut at Tim's has got lots of stuff in it, right? But the flavor is very similar to the sour cream glaze, but it's very light and fluffy. And if they're warm, oh, okay. it is mind blowing. My buddy, uh, Paul Parhar, mastermind, the DJ mastermind from Toronto. Uh, he, uh, he used to get them when we were working radio together here in Calgary. He used to get them shipped from his friends, like Perlator. So we could get them like later that day or the next day because we didn't have Krispy Kreme yet at that time. They were so good. Wow. That's how good they were. All right, beginning October 26, nine locations in the U.S. will start selling Krispy Kreme donuts as part of a test. Krispy Kreme will deliver the donuts daily to participating restaurants, and customers can purchase them individually or in six packs. According to CNN, the chain uses a hub-and-spoke model, meaning it makes donuts at its stores and bakeries and sells them at third-party locations such as convenience stores to help bolster its business. Shares of Krispy Kreme rose more than 4%. Shortly after the partnership with McDonald's was announced. There you go. Krispy Kreme donuts for you, which has got to be good because those McDonald's little donuts things they were doing. Ugh, not good. They weren't good. They're they not, good. not good. At yeah. All. I mean, it, make, it makes total sense for Krispy Kreme. And it's a, I feel like it's a bit of a gamble for McDonald's, but I, I guess they know that, you know, Krispy Kreme's not going to start selling Big Macs anytime soon. So I don't, I think it's a good idea. It's probably going to work. It would be nice to get a Krispy Kreme in Calgary to try, but I'll settle for there some used local to be one. amazing. There's some amazing bakeries here, though, that make some great donuts. So luckily we got that. There used to be Krispy Kreme. I don't think there is, or at least I've never seen it. There was one up in the Northeast, yeah. Oh, cool. And based on what I see on a Google search, anyway, there is one in Surrey. It is in Scottsdale Center. That's only according to Dr. Google, though. Just so you know. Now, there you go. Are you okay with... Chip eggs. Mm, they're, uh, they're a fine receptacle to eat chips out of. I don't like how much air is stored in said bags but the thing that i learned to do at a party a few years ago is you you know you open the bag up and then you roll it and fold it and it becomes a bowl in your hand you don't have to put it in a bowl and it's great at parties or it's great for when you just uh devour a bag of ruffles all dressed by yourself on the couch on a saturday night like i'm planning to this weekend so yeah chip bags are good 
Uh, yeah, the air things. I don't like the misleading sometimes. Or it's like oh, that keeps your chips from getting broken. I know they do, but sometimes it's like you're just expecting more because the bag's bigger. Right? But still, I prefer the bag to the tube. I'm sorry, Pringles. Not a good idea with the tube. You don't like the mashed potatoes shaped like into potato chips? No. So that's funny because no one ever brings up the bags not recyclable. Right, the bags get bigger to sell us the perception of more chips filled with air, and the bag is more plastic, and yet, no one ever talks about that. Do you consider your chip bags to be fashionable, stylish? Maybe that's one reason you buy them. You're like, ooh, poutine flavor. Look at the colors. I'm going to keep it. Balenciaga has the fashion piece for you. Very fancy fashion line. A chip bag handbag. Here is my secret crush, Jeannie Moss. Balenciaga showed models clutching the chip bag at its so-called mud show earlier this month in Paris. But this chip bag definitely isn't dirt cheap. And that bag is going to go for $1,800, but it will be made out of calf skin leather and have a zipper. Reportedly $1,800, chips not included. Someone joked, at Balenciaga, y'all taking food stamps? The bag will come in four flavors. This is the same high-end design house that created the trash bag, also in calf skin, that likewise costs $1,800. Of course, it's a fashion stunt, says celebrity stylist Philip Block. It's all like, pay attention, notice me. Uh-huh. The bags each have metallic silver lining, zipper closure, and a nutrition label printed on the back. They will eventually be available to purchase and retail for $1,500 each. The LOL Clutch, yes, that's what it's called, was designed by Balenciaga's creative director, Demna. The French fashion house said that Demna was inspired to create this bag because he loves chips in general. Oh, that's good. Do what you love. Right there, yeah. Yeah, and... People will buy it. I uh, don't worry. People Even I it. would not ever in a million years buy this. Uh, I've already seen the second those premiered at uh, at that that mud show, which I watched. It's really weird. Uh, the uh, AliExpress, uh, which is that uh, really cheap kind of Chinese knockoff of Amazon, started selling their knockoff of that bag for three ninety nine. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Uh, they're quick and cranking out the knockoffs. That's for sure. Okay. Um, I wanted to clarify my earlier comment about Surrey and Krispy Kreme. Just so you know, uh, looks like there is one in Scarborough. There is one in Toronto, two, three, four in Toronto. And one's on DuPont. And the other one is Mississauga. So there you go. According to Google, I didn't want to miss those just in case anybody wanted to send me some hate mail about getting my Krispy Kremes wrong. Feel better. This is the Shift Podcast. Some people go to work and some people create a community, create success, serve. I love that. That's so exciting. And then neither of them is wrong, by the way. If you go to work because it's work, that's cool. You go do that. But for some people, it is just a little bit different. And so this gets this conversation gets really cool in this particular forum. Joining me now is um, is a couple of ladies that are working on something that's new to me. I don't know how new it is. I hope to find out. A restorative medical pigmentation specialist, Carmelina Bakari, Casey Rainey, are... Well, one of the things you do, among others, is nipple tattoos. And uh, I saw this because I sent it to Ryan. I'm like, uh, these are nipples. <laughs> and uh, But it's not, I mean, everybody giggles with the word nipple, but you guys are up to some really cool things here and having some fun with it. But you're really building community at a real safe place to grow and heal for people that have gone through some cancer treatments. Uh, Carmelina, can you tell me what you guys are doing? Yes, um, Casey and I, well, cancer brought us together. Um, I was affected by cancer in 2014. I went through a whole year of treatments, uh, chemotherapy, eight rounds of chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. So it's crazy because it's almost like 
our paths were written already because I wanted to do this before and so did Casey. And so that year I'm like, I want to do this. And then Casey and I spoke and she's been affected by cancer. And I'll let her tell you a bit of that. But yes, nipples, like you mentioned, people make people smile or they can make people cry. In our situation, people cry, they smile because something's been given back that was taken away. And we love, we, this is we, what we love to do. Mm-hmm. So that's why we call ourselves the Nipple Sisters because it's not just an emotional, creative art um, healing process. It's, it's filling what we feel like we're here to do. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it seems to, I think, evidence just with the two of you, it does create community very, very quickly, which is interesting. Casey, how did you fall into this? Um, like Karma said, cancer brought us together. Um, we have been makeup artists for years and we just knew that we wanted to do something more permanent for people affected by cancer. And um, yeah, we started studying and looking into this and we wanted to bring a sense of healing with the work that we do um, to our patients. And that's allowed us to connect on a whole different scale um, with anything regarding reconstruction or on a cancer journey. So um, my dad passed away when I was 17 from cancer. And that's kind of where my healing journey with art began. Um, And then harmonized up and started to help other women. Mm hmm. Now, are you dealing, uh, Carmelina, are you dealing mostly with uh, mastectomies, breast reconstructions, and those types of scenarios that you are um, helping with that rebuild? What's really cool is, yeah, a lot, we're known for, like, that's what we love to do is work with the cancer patients, but we don't only do that. We have men that come to us. Mm-hmm. We have women that surgeries have gone wrong, where reconstruction, where they've lost their nipple to necrosis. And we have to match their knack to the other one. Um, we have so many different, like we do belly buttons as well. Oh, Casey I didn't has know that. a great hand with Yeah. So, but our, we love doing the, the nipple part of it for cancer patients, but for everybody that, because we feel like it's adding something that's been taken away, whether it was for a cosmetic reason or someone's lost a lot of weight and they're, they want to like take away a bit of the, for men, usually it's because they've had surgery. Um, I think it's my plasty. Is it Casey? The, the surgery that men usually have that they usually use lose yeah. their, their nipple. Mm-hmm. So we also deal with men or, you know, people transgendering over, mm, but mm-hmm. we have a community around us with cancer because we've, we've marketed ourselves around that because it's huge. Like one out of eight women are diagnosed with cancer a year. And it's so other, someone knows somebody, a sister, a mother, a, uh, everyone, not even with the breast cancer, but all types of cancers. For example, Casey losing her father at such a young age. Uh, my mom had cancer when I was in high school. Um, she's, she, she's great. She's healthy and all that, but it's, it affects everybody in all t- levels, you know? So, but our cancer patients are dear to us, like all of our patients, because sometimes we have created a nipple and sometimes it's returned. Their cancer's returned. So we're dealing with terminally ill patients, but you know what, if, if that can bring a smile to them, Casey and I are happy. Um, everybody's nipples are different. Yeah. And yeah. very rarely are both of your nipples the same anyway, <laughs> which is to me seems True. like a really good margin of error because you don't have to be perfect because <laughs> nipples are rarely perfect, which is great. But what is the nipple restoration, the areola restoration? Like, what is that? Can you help me understand the basics of what we're talking about here? And I don't want to be too graphic and make some people feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, Casey, I think that if you could describe what it is that really this starts to look like, I mean... There's all kinds of things that probably come to mind. There's probably stenciling, tattooing, painting, makeup, um, applications <laughs> like stickies. Um, what is it that, um, and then there would be inserts that people ins- put inside bathing suits or bras or whatever, so they can have the perception of a nipple. Like what, what does this truly start to look like that you guys do? Yeah. So we, uh, we see patients at the very end of the process. We're the last step of the process. So um, when you think about a cancer journey, and everything that a patient has undergone. We are that final step in completion for the patient. So kind of how that works and how we get to that spot. um, You mentioned like inserts and different things like that. Those are temporary. So that's before you come see us, you'd be using things like that. Um, But when you come see Carmen and I and you end up in our studios, 
I pretty much restore um, our specialty, like Carm was saying, is in hyperreal anatomy, and that is permanent tattooing on the area. So um, when we see a patient, we custom match either if it's a single mastectomy, we're matching that, that exam, um, areola to a brand new one that we create or we're creating from scratch. So um, we are using things like stencils to match up, but then the rest we do all by hand. And like you said, margin of error for nipples, Not our body is not perfectly symmetrical. So we like to work on what looks the most symmetrical on the canvas we're working on, which includes covering up scars. Um, as well as balancing. Skin grafts are not always going to be perfect. And our job is to make that area and landscape look like real light at the end of the day. So through tattooing and through um, our pigments that we use, we can create depth and um, realism. Mm -hmm. And it is real. Um, It's quite staggering when you look at the pictures. I looked at the Instagram page, Carmelina, and it is is (laughs) really quite amazing. You wouldn't know that that's a tattoo essentially that makes me feel good you can hang your keychain on that can you (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to add to what you said before shane though so the cool thing about casey and i we work in tandem like we work together so you know nipples aren't exactly the same so she's a lefty i'm a righty i start we start the process together on one breast each then we switch over so the nipple looks the same we, we measure so obviously the symmetry is the same the size and obviously the patient's going to pick their colors before we start and how big they want their nipple sometimes they make them bigger sometimes smaller than their original nipple right but that's the cool thing because it looks natural exactly and it's like that 3d effect it, yeah it is fascinating like it, it everything <laughs> is everything about it is fascinating and i can only imagine you know i have a couple of friends that have sort of gone through processes like this as well and um you know, those, the breasts, whether it is treatments or radiation or um, surgeries, you know, they get beat up real bad. And as with fat tissues in general, you know, they don't often come back smooth. And, and so, I mean, people go through an awful lot to get to the process where they are, they have some restorative surgery or whatever it is that rebuilds a little bit of the damage that's been done. So when, when they see this, whether they've lost a nipple, part of a nipple, um, for whatever reason, what, what's it like for you? I mean, you've guys have been through this. What, what, what's it like for you, Carmelina, when you see the look in their eyes, when they see in the mirror for the first time that by the way, um, they have nipples again, uh, although different, but, and maybe an upgrade. I mean, why not? Like throw a little reno in there too and, and, you know, an upgrade. So what, what does it look like when you see their eyes, when, when okay. they look? This is our favorite part. We call it the reveal. And sometimes we record it if, with their, with their, um, obviously with their okay. Um, because some women have waited and gone through so much that they don't even want to do this or they do it, but they don't realize how the big effect it is on them as a healing part. They really don't. But when it's done, there's tears because there's women that waited some, they get it right, done right away or some have waited 10 years or seven because before this, before this, it wasn't like detailed like this. It was almost like a stamp in the, the medical um, clinic um, with the nurse just putting one dab of color, like a bingo dabber. Literally, it was like a bingo dabber. Right. So now it's detailed. They can't believe that. Why did I wait so long? The ones that waited and they're crying because when they walk by the mirror, they don't want to look at themselves at home after the shower. Right. They don't, they walk by right away. So it's huge. It's, this is like a huge healing, like almost like a new book, not a closing chapter. Mm-hmm. It's almost healed something that they didn't know was unhealed. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to be selfish mm-hmm. here and make this about me. Yeah. Um, okay. Nipples. I know that we all, well, no, I'm going to, because I think it's a question, Casey, that, that not many people mm-hmm. will ask. Men don't talk about nipples. Men don't. Now, every man I know has looked at their nipples and wondered if their nipples are cool or not, or if they're just like, do I have weird nipples? You know, do I have walleye nipples pointing different directions? Like all the things that go on and men go through this too, but men don't talk about it with women. uh, You know, women go through, there's a lot of support, like, right? Like um, you guys are the nipple sisters, but when it comes to women, women will talk about breasts and they will say, you know, how are the ladies doing? Have you been checked? And it's a regular part of conversation. Men don't do that. 
that's men's fault that we need to start doing that in general. So when you have a man come through and he gets reconstructive surgery and he maybe needs a, a tattoo or a new nipple that to get put on there, what's that like to see men go through this process? Because men don't talk about this stuff enough anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, Carmen, I advocate heavily um, about early detection, prevention, and then support is what we offer, which is kind of the three pillars of, of what we do. And that is spectrum for men and women. And you absolutely nailed it. Like it's so with females and women speaking more loudly about breast cancer um, comes with the responsibility of normalizing it for males too. Because although we're females, we have breast tissue and nipples. The breast is different than it is specifically for a male, but everything we have in common is the nipple. And you know what? Men get breast cancer too. And that's something we speak heavily about. Um, but when we do see patients like male patients, um, just being able to be as diverse as we are in our work um, has really helped us to advocate in that space too and normalize it. Um, and a lot of times, you know, it's it's lumpectomies with men that we see. It's not as common as mentioned, but you know what? If you have a nipple and you have tissue here, there's still is, is the option that, um, you know, you need to check too. And so I think it is just normalizing that conversation and just getting more comfortable with speaking about that and making it, you know, a little bit more accessible for, for all, all men and female, you know what I mean? Getting comfortable in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very important. Well, girls will, girls will get together. You guys get dressed up, go out for cocktails, have a visit. You see each other. You'd be like, Hey, the ladies <laughs> look amazing, right? Your tatas look hot. Like what a great dress for your boobs. Or like it's yeah. a normal part of conversation. And it's just not like the guys don't get on the golf course and go, Hey, your moobs look great today. <laughs> you better start. Right. Like, <laughs> Well, that's the thing is, I think that we should start. I think you're on it, like this sort of prevention and and where we're going and and talking about this. I mean, it'd be really great if you could work yourselves out of a job. I mean, that's really fundamentally would be amazing, right? Because then you don't have to ever worry about it again. Um, How do people find you? Because I'm quite surprised uh, that your Instagram account is alive because of, you know, there are bare breasts in, in the photos, social media and all the stigma that comes in today's life today. Does it work Mm -hmm. against you, Carmelina, in trying to just get the good word out there or has it been? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you must get flagged all the time for stuff. We have been, and we also even did a, um, there's a woman out of the UK that did a whole, she did a, a boob kind of costume and had all these, um, aerial restorative tattoo artists um, stand outside of the was it the yeah, Facebook headquarters um, quarters? Yeah. headquarters Vicky Martin. So now we have our names yeah Vicky Martin sent in to the headquarters so we don't get as much flag but we still do um, we also did a story about it on the news I think last year or a couple of years ago but it is you know what sucks is that why isn't this okay but I see fans only on social media. Exactly. Like, I just don't get it. It just, it's kind of irritating. It really like, this is actually one of my pet peeves. It's like, this is healing someone that's gone through and maybe still going through something really, really hard. So yeah, it's very, it's something that needs to be changed and worked on like yeah. ASAP. Mm-hmm. What are you most excited about Casey? When you um, look at wh- where you're going here and what's next, wh- what gets you excited about this? You know, I think uh, the best part is like, we're just getting started. That's, that's the best part. I mean, Carmen and I are here for a reason. We know our purpose. We know how we want to innovate this space. And not only, like you said, have we been through this, huge pillars in our community for what, we activate, act, what we're activists for. So when we look at the, the broad picture of what we're trying to accomplish, we've just started. So it's pretty, it's pretty beautiful mm-hmm. to see our work not only on our scale in our own nation, but to see it worldwide, you know, and how we can help even more so. And, you know, to further what Carm was saying too, with the social media side of things, it's it's very interesting how social media will um, pick and choose what will be allowed to be seen and something that is actually could be life-saving or um, helping towards uh, cancer patients, or in this case, something that showcases a medical procedure that we're actually doing, right? A paramedical tattoo. Um, it's it's very interesting to watch when you get shadow banned and who is able to see your work. Um, and that's just a hurdle we go through every single day and we don't stop until our accounts get deleted. Fingers crossed. But until our accounts get deleted, <laughs> we're going to keep going to answer your question. Like the sky isn't our limit because that's we're just getting started. Gratitude 
uh, is such an important thing in our lives and word and practice every day, uh, Carmelina, but um, it also has become cliche. It's become very cliche mm-hmm. and an it word and it's like your hashtag blessed <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff. And um, it's it's become too much, right? You know what would be amazing? Uh, this beautiful view of the mountains right now, my ass in yoga pants. That's what this view needs, right? That's what, no, that's what social media has become. Um, I ask this because you guys have taken this on. Um, do you look at yourself differently in the mirror? in the morning when you get dressed um in what i'm doing or after my after what i've gone through well just everything like your whole body yeah yeah I do. it's amazing I do. right like it's think uh, of yes, the billions of things that had to go right for this yes, thing to work and resilient. now right because sometimes treatments don't work on people they don't like mine work and it's still going i don't use the word remission i say it's gone because mm-hmm. i don't like that word um but yeah i do because you know, some, they have different types of hormonal uh, cancers and sometimes the treatment does not work like, or it returns. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty, so I'm, I'm not going to say blessed, but you know what? I'm not going to say lucky. I feel, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm very, I'm spiritual. Um, I do have, I talk to my higher power. I did heal a lot of my internal stuff, right. forgive, heal. I believe in that. I did change a lot of things that I do to my body. I do I was supposed to take medication for 10 years. My journey, my decision, um, I said not to, and I don't, I just do a natural route and do a lot of proactive remedies. Like I do a lot of IVs, vitamin C drips, ozone therapy, but it's my, my journey. What felt right for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A whole new level of confidence is what I hear. Right. Yeah. Of owning yeah. yourself. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. What about you, Casey? Um, your journey very different because it's touched you differently. Um, when you look in the mirror in the morning, um, do you have a whole new level of gratitude of, of what it is that this, you know, the, the miracle that is your body's doing for you every day? Yeah. You know, I, I look in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I'm alive today. Here we go. You know, like I look, exactly. I look at that. Um, yeah. You know, Carmen, I advocate not only for cancer awareness, but also mental health is a huge, huge portion of, of all of this, this whole spectrum. And, you know, after what I've been through with losing my dad, also having Lynch disease and recently losing um, my older brother, you know, not cancer related, but more mental health side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I wake up every morning and I'm like, you know, here's that gift I was given today. How am I going to utilize today? How am I going to be the best that I can be of service today? Also healing my own self because the better version of you and the higher version of you is actually where you perform at your optimal level. So for me, I look at it sometimes as a day by day process. But, you know, when you do work in an industry as such and you do with warriors, it kind of it's hard for it to not wear off on you. And we sit in this room together and we create this magic. We actually call it nipple magic. And uh, it's this, yeah, it's this beautiful moment of it's full mm-hmm. resilience. It's it's full circle resilience. Carmen and I feel from our patients and our warriors, their love and their resilience and their strength. And it literally us doing our service to them is like filling our tank all the way up. So when I get, maybe I'm having like mm-hmm. a shitty day, I just look in the mirror and I'm like, I got bigger things to do today, you know? And we just keep trucking forward. And like, that's how we kind of balance everything. But yeah, I, yeah, I think those words are totally overused hashtags read but <laughs> once you live it you know it like you do yeah it's a feeling yeah. oh yeah it's true I, hey, man, I have no problem with the words. I have a problem with the hypocrisy of the way some people use them. And so when we, cre- yes. when we create space for the words and the language to be used mindfully and at least intentionally, uh, it, it's a different reaction that we get. Yeah. So pretty fantastic. Uh, the Nipple Sisters are here. And not only that, uh, the people can't see our Zoom call, but they match <laughs> <laughs> in the Zoom call, which is, uh, which is super fun. Okay, Instagram connection. Um, where, what should I send people to? Because I know there are... Are people in this community that will be interested i've been through this process they're going to want to learn or at least refer to someone else what is the best access point that i can post and I, share? I would i would say our social instagram um handles and also our website so carmelina bakari and then casey rainey our instagram handles and then carmelina bakari.com and then casey is our websites and you can book there 
uh, nominate somebody, book your Ariola restoration, come say hi to us, follow us, we'll follow you back. Mm-hmm. We're all about community. community. Nice. And high five to all the nipples yeah. out there. Major. Yes. Shane, thanks yes. for having us. It means a lot. Yeah, thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Okay, throw the entire program quietly in the background. DJ BK, Brennan Kelly, who's in downtown Vancouver and the technical producer who pushes all the buttons and makes the music happen. Uh, he has been playing songs from one throwback Thursday, flashback Friday year. And a couple of guests have rolled in. Glennie took a guess and a couple of others. 1997 is what we're going back to here on the shift. Inspired by. Two letters and a number. The letter M. The letter P is in Peter. And the number three. The MP3. 1997. When the first MP3 player hit production and would soon reach the market in South Korea. Yep, for the first time ever, you could take your MP3s, put it on that tiny little handheld stick, plug in your headphones, and listen to your music. So here is a clip from the business YouTube channel Cold Fusion. They took a look at the very first MP3 player ever made. The Flash-based MP3 player had either 32 or 64 megabytes of memory. That's about 6 to 12 songs. It also included an LCD screen to tell the user what song was currently playing. The cost was around $600 in today's money. At this time, MP3s were just starting to get distributed across the internet, with MP3.com being established a year earlier and Napster being launched a year later. Despite it being a pioneering device, the MP Man hardly caused a ripple when it was unveiled for the first time at Korean booths at an annual tech conference in Hanover, Germany. No one was quite sure what this was. Mr. J.R. Bum, the vice president of a local tech company who was there to witness the event, comments, quote, No matter how the Korean staff tried to explain what an MP3 player was, people just didn't understand why they needed such a device because they could listen to music on CDs or cassettes. A few people accepted that the MP3 player was something cool, but most people just didn't take it seriously. J.R. Bum. (laughs) That's what you take away. I'm 13 years old. Okay, so it was in 1997. For $600, you could get 6 to 12 songs. And every underscore song underscore had underscore the underscore title underscore of underscore the song underscore dot mp3. <laughs> like that was it. The meta, the metadata was not there to help you understand what it was. The MP man was the game changer. It was the MP man after the disc man after the walk man. Very creative thinking, but the MP man didn't really win people over while korea owned the mp3 market in the 90s apple took over in the 2000s with the ipod a bit of a brick actually when you look back in time but you could get it engraved on the back for free that was a big deal by 2006 nine years later 20 percent of americans owned an mp3 player and it was mostly driven by young people, as more than half of American teens owned one. 30% of young adults aged 18 to 34, which aligns to marketing and music consumptions in general. There's this like thing that happens as you get older that um, you just run out of time. <laughs> and you just feel like, I don't know what I like anymore. Although I did, I have to say, I did pick up a record today. Um, I needed a record for this record player I needed to test. And um, it was uh, uh, an archive of sad songs, it was called. And I was like, oh, a Smith's record. But it wasn't the Smith's. That was just a ride. It's a very yeah, pretty cover. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So it was in 1997, and I remember when some of those MP3 parallels came out, and they still tried to make a run at it. After the iPod came out, they were still trying. But we barely use MP3s today. We do in our world of audio production and whatnot, but songs that you're listening to on your Spotify and all of that aren't MP3s anymore. Compression has changed. 
data streaming has changed, quality has changed. So it's quite fascinating to think that it was 25 years ago, 25 years ago, that also leads me to believe that Ryan has never not known a world where MP3 players exist. Uh, that's a good question. I had a Walkman. I had, or a Discman. Yeah. I'd, like I had a CD player one. I had like the 90s headphones. I had that first. Mm-hmm. And then I got a crappy little MP3 player. And then I remember, I'll never forget, I got an iPod shuffle. And I put 150 songs on it. And it was this disgusting mess of like Soldier Boy, Nickelback. Um, what else would have been on there? Gym Class Heroes, Sean Kingston, wow. like all the weird mid 2000s pop music was all uh-huh. on that iPod shuffle. And that was the first real MP3 experience for me. And that was probably 2000 and 2006, 2007. Wow. Yeah. Well, 1997 is when this all kicked off. And what else was going on in 1997? A promise, uh, promise, a province defining moment was unfolding in Manitoba. You might remember this one for sure. The Red River flooded like never before. In the spring of 1997, Manitobans endured the worst flood this province has seen in nearly two centuries. An archetypal struggle ensued between an ancient river seeking to expand its borders and the river people who live alongside it, fighting to protect their lives and property. Since water level measurements were first taken at the forks of the Red and Assiniboine rivers, only the Great Flood of 1826 had higher measured levels than those that would be recorded in 1997. A vast Red Sea covered southern Manitoba from the Canada-U.S. border north to the city of Winnipeg, covering nearly 1,000 square miles. Despite surprisingly accurate flood forecasts from city and provincial officials, nothing could have prepared Manitoba for the awesome power the Red River would unleash on the valley. But the people of Manitoba rose to this unprecedented challenge with a fighting spirit that would leave the rest of Canada shaking their heads in wonder and admiration. With the eyes of the world on them, Manitobans wouldn't just survive the battle with the raging Red River, they would win it. Was that a movie trailer that we just heard? It was. It's kind of cool, actually. So that was global news in the uh-huh. 90s, early uh-huh. 2000s. And so that uh-huh. was the channel that covered the Red River flood. And I wasn't able to find any of their actual coverage. But what they did do was a year later, create this big documentary about everything that they had on that day. And they sold it. And all the proceeds went to a charity fund to help survivors and help the province rebuild. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that was a big deal. I wasn't there. I just, I remember seeing it on, on TV at the time. That was global news coverage of the flood. Just like Ryan said, thousands of volunteers helped build sandbags and dikes around homes and properties. An emergency 42 kilometer long dike, later called, uh, Brunkild Z Dike, was constructed in a matter of days when officials realized that overland flooding threatened the city of Winnipeg. It cost $10 million. 42 kilometers of a barricade. That's wild. At the flood's peak in Canada on May 4th, the Red River occupied the area of thousands of kilometers, which earned the nickname the Red Sea. Uh, Here is some local Access Channel 13 surveying the damage of the flood. As you can see, there's a lot of sandbaggers up here, uh, people volunteering to help with the tens of thousands of sandbags that it's taking in this area to keep the water out of these homes along the edge of the Red River. They're all saying hi to us, so uh, give them a friendly wave at home for all these uh, hardy workers here. While the flooding was still underway, the federal government, uh, led by Jean Chrétien, called a snap election. Several of the the party's MPs from the province, including um, Reg Alcock, requested a delay until the flooding was under control. When Chrétien let the election go ahead, as it was originally planned, Alcock transformed his campaign office into a volunteer relief center, spending his time in relief efforts instead of campaigning, and he won re-election for doing that. I would say from the outside, anyway, probably the right thing to do. Total damages for the Red River region, over $4 billion, with a B, billion, Dollars. The flood was a result of an abundant snowfall and extreme temperatures all coming to fruition right there. 1997 Throwback Thursday, Flashback Friday. I'm Shane Hewitt. Ryan O'Donnell is here. Brendan Kelly is here as well with Steve Stebbing. We always talk about movies. So let's 
throw out a couple of the movies from the year. Titanic came out that year. Goodwill Hunting came out that year. And so much more. Most action movies that year were quite terrible, according to Ryan, because he is a bit of an expert on those ones. He loves those. Except for one. Die Hard on a Plane, also known as Air Force One, starring Harrison Ford and Gary Oldman. The president's plane, Air Force One, has been hijacked. What do they want? They want General Raddock released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. What are our airborne scenarios? There are no airborne scenarios. My husband will not negotiate. Get off my plane. Get off my plane. Now, I do believe I saw a, a, um, a, like a Air Force Two or whatever they call the, the vice president's plane show. Uh, was it a boat? Does the, does the president have a boat? I think I know what you're no. talking about, too. No, this was uh. a plane, I think, and then the plane crashed and then they came across the, the beach and then they had to survive. But it was about a vice president. It was a very similar storyline, except it was a crash. And then the vice president had to survive. And everyone was like, who cares? This is the vice president. It doesn't matter. And then and it was a terrible movie with terrible acting. And I watched about 25 minutes of it. And I was like, this, I can't. I like, I can't. Well, even, uh, oh, I found it. It's oh. called In, In Her Line of Fire. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the, look, Air Force Two crash lands on an island, and they have to survive. Yeah. It's terrible. Yikes! Uh, don't like, do that one. Do Air Force One. Yeah, do even yeah. Air Force One. I saw. I remember. I was only thirteen when it came out, and I saw it in the theater. And like this action hero president, and he's hanging out the back of a plane, and it's wild. And like as a thirteen-year-old, I was like, I couldn't see Bill Clinton doing this. Now, could you imagine? <laughs> like, the only president that I think might be able to pull off a little bit might have been Obama, but, like, Trump, Teddy Biden, Roosevelt. like, Biden, no way. And, like, I can't, there's time. no action hero presidents. They like to think <laughs> they are, but they're not. Wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> Wrong. I would do a tremendous I'm job action of killing hero. Russian terrorists on my plane. It would be tremendous. <sighs> Nobody's killed more terrorists than me. Like, <laughs> Where's my cheeseburger? Um. Anyway, it received positive reviews. It did very well at the box office, contrary to what you're hearing here. It shows a president standing alone against terrorists on his plane. It's not his plane. It's the people's plane, in all fairness. A large part of the crew took a tour of a, of the real Air Force One before filming it. They based some of the film scenes uh, on the touring experience when the terrorists disguised as journalists surveyed the plane's layout and began to take their seats. Gary Oldman, who played the villain, uh, did not stay in character between scenes. The director later said he called the filming experience Air Force Fun <laughs> because of how comic and... Uh, what is that word, Ryan? Is that a typo? Or do I not know this word? No, genial. Genial. Genial? Okay, I genial. don't know genial. This is a new word to me. We're looking up genial. Uh, sorry, that's a quote. That's why. Genial. I was going to say. Uh, genius. Friendly and cheerful. Oh. New Pleasantly word. mild yeah. and warm, especially of air or climate. Yeah. Oh. Genial, like Brendan Kelly. Oh. You know... I, it throws me off because I, I don't know. If you put one T in there, it changes everything. Okay. Um, where are we? Oh, how genial old man would be. Old man. <laughs> old man. <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> well, he's an old man now. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. He's still a great actor, though. A uh, very important TV show premiered in 1997. It Throwback Thursday and Flashback Friday. It was created by the guys who made Beavis and Butthead, so you know you must be awesome, question mark. The one and only King of the Hill. Presenting a new comedy. I'm a substitute Spanish teacher. About intellectuals. Los Estudiantes son mis amigos. And their gifted offspring. That boy ain't right. About future Hall of Famers. Watch the ball! What? And expert auto care. Oh, my head! Introducing King of the Hill. Media executive man, I don't talk about it every time y'all come on like you did to put on that dang old Melrose place. Boomhauer ain't right. That ain't right. 
Uh, King of the Hill was named by Time Magazine in its 2007 list of 100 greatest TV shows of all time. The show became one of Fox's longest-running series. It was that real trend of all the cartoons, right? It was everything that people couldn't say, real people, but a cartoon could get away with saying. That's really what Mm -hmm. that trend became. Um. 259 episodes aired over 13 seasons. It's also responsible for the greatest six seconds, in, according to Ryan. I got to throw that disclaimer in there just yes, in case. That's fair. In the history of television. Do I look like I know what a JPEG is? I just want a picture of a goddamn hot dog. Uh, okay. Which, by the way, when we were talking about MP3 players in 1997, there was a question that came in about why is it MP3? Why not MP5? Uh, this is a nerdy response. You ready? Um, MPEG, M-P-E-G, was a compression format to save space. And layer one was layer one. And then as they got better at it, layer two and layer three. So MPEG layer three was what became the MP3 of compression. It worked. It was the most efficient that worked. And that's the one they used. That's why MP3 is MP3. So thanks for the text, though, 877-399-9898. We are flashing back to 1997. I'm uh, going to get to a couple of songs here shortly, by the way. And we're going to talk about some songs. First, though, the toys. I was looking at, uh, I was going through cleaning out my basement, and I found some old magazines, and I found, which I think could be the last catalog, Canadian Tire Catalog, Christmas Wish Book thing that they did. 2015 was the last one that I found. So back in the days when toys still could be found in catalogs in 1997, the most popular toy of that year, without question, was a Beanie Baby, which I would say is not really a toy, but still. They've been cited as being the world's first Internet sensation in 1995. Their popularity, though, continued for the rest of the decade. In 1997, the company that makes them, Tie Inc., released a new product called Teeny Babies, a miniature cutoff of the original Beanie Babies line. They were sold alongside McDonald's Happy Meals to celebrate all that product's 17th anniversary. First I got Pinky, then I got Pinky. I got Pinky and Patty in the same week. What, Vanessa catch something? Teeny Beanie Baby item. Now at McDonald's, your kids can get Teeny Beanie Babies and a Happy Meal. Real Thai Beanie Babies in a mini size. To toss, tuck, or just plain love. One's in each $1.99 hamburger Happy Meal you buy your kids. This uh, Teeny Beanie baby itis, will she outgrow it? Not necessarily. <laughs> That's inappropriate. Yeah, it's a weird ad. <laughs> That's a weird one. <laughs> the uh, 90s. Okay. You know what's worse than horror movies? That clip talking about Pinky and getting teeny beanie baby-itis. That's probably <laughs> worse. Anyway, the award for best toy of the year went to the digital pet, the Tamagotchi. Most Tamagotchi are housed in small egg-shaped handheld video games with an interface consisting of three buttons. Uh, it was basically like the first reality device that kids carried everywhere. The Tamagotchi picks shutter app on the top to activate the camera. There's an ad um, of the toy featuring a very jealous, cool, a jealous goldfish. Well, if it isn't Tamagotchi, her new favorite pet. Yes! So what's that make me? Fish sticks? Oh, are you hungry? Oh, no, 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 no. By all means, feed it. Play till your heart's content. Look, Goldie. I took good care of her, and she changed again. Change? How about changing some water here? <laughs> Katie, boss is here. So Tamagotchi can pause. I can pause, too. Want to see that again? Hatch a Tamagotchi, the one and only from Bandai, each sold separately. I remember that commercial because the fish was so upset because the fish got basically kicked out. 1997 had a bunch of really good music and really terrible music. I just want to play this one because next. R&B was very popular in this year. Uh, that was but a love, by the way. You probably don't know it. Um unless you were mega into the hip hop, the hips and the hops. Um, and so normally what we do here is we play like the best songs of the year, right? We, we try to do that, but I'm going to play some of the worst ones. Uh, what is this? What is this? Oh. Oh, no. uh, that was a big club banger, in case you're wondering. Uh, Coco Jombo by Mr. President. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
It was really a pop pushback year. Uh, rock had dominated so much of the early 90s up till about 95 that pop yep. began to really push back in the late 90s with here like Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys and Britney mm-hmm. Spears and all that. And Michael Bolton. <laughs> well, he's ageless, timeless. A seal. Michael. Jeez. Seal came out with uh, Fly Like an Eagle and all those. So there's, you know, some good songs there. Um, there are a couple that you're um, really going to hate, too. I should probably do this one. It's going to be shorter. Right? <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm at a wedding. This song came out on my birthday. Yeah. I'm not proud of Sorry that fact. That. No, hey. I'm not proud of that. No. Um, and I was trying to find a clean version of this, and I don't know if I can um, because I was really kind of excited to play it for you because it was bad since we were talking about all the bad things. Um, it was Warren G's version of I Shot the Sheriff, and I cannot for the life of me find a clean version of it. Just imagine what that sounded like. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.